Welcome back, everybody. This week's RevOps Podcast. I'm Alistair Wilcock, Chief Strategy Revenue Officer here at Revenue.io. And thrilled to have back with us for part two, Barry Trailer from the Sales Mastery Institute. Barry has a fantastic career as part of the Accenture Luminary, has exited a few firms in the space, to Miller Hyman, acquired by Corn Ferry, a foremost thought leader in AI and sales. And Barry, we're just excited to have you back and dive into uh, more of the topic from last time. So welcome. Thanks. Good to be here. Glad to be back. So Barry, I want to start off today. You and I have spoken on a few different things, but there was a great statement you made to me one time. And that is that uh, forecast accuracy is an oxymoron. <laughs> and thinking of our climate right now, a lot of people are analyzing their forecasts. A lot of people are trying to figure out the pipeline and what's going to happen in Q1, Q2, and beyond. So what's the oxymoron of forecasting in your experience? Well, uh, our experience is we've been surveying it for 20 years, and we ask the outcome of forecast deals. One lost, no decision. And we're not talking pipeline, we're talking forecast. Yeah. And historically, that number had been 50, 30, 20. 50% won, 30% lost the competitors, 20% no decision. And over time, I'd say the last 10 years, maybe longer, uh, it's dropped down to more like uh, 46, 47, 28, and the difference is made up by no decision, you know, like 24, 25%. And so... To me, it's just stunning that things can be dragged along to the point where we're literally forecasting them and they just basically vaporize. And that just can't be good. The other thing, is, while we're talking about, you know, forecasting, another thing that hasn't come up in earlier discussions, but the question I always have is, did you make your forecast or did you make your number? <laughs> and so... You know, let's say a, a rep's number is, you know, let's just keep it easy, 2 million. So 500,000 a quarter. And uh, they have right now in their pipeline for this quarter, million and a half worth of deals. Okay. And so it's like, well, how are we doing? Well, I'm going to say, you know, I'm going to give it, you know, 60%. Uh, so 60 million and a half, 900,000. I'm, I'm going to give it if they have 500 and they, they've got 600. So they, maybe they've got a million in their pipelines. They've got 2X in their pipeline for the quarter at 60%. So 600, I think we're in pretty good shape here. Well, first of all, what does 60% mean? And and all I can say is it sounds better than 50-50, but I'm not going to go out on a limb and say 90. <laughs> so there's that. But let's say the million bucks is made up of, again, let's just keep the math simple, four deals, A, B, C, D of 250,000 bucks each. Right. And uh, what... What happens at the end of the quarter is A, which was in for 250, actually got booked for 100,000. B, C, and D kind of out in the, in the ether somewhere. But out of nowhere, this mega deal J for 400,000 came in, half a million bucks, and yay, hero. So made the number but completely blew the forecast. I mean, this person is literally in a flat spin. They have no idea what's happening in their business. Right. But they're a hero because they made their number. So I think it's worth asking, did you make your number or did you make your forecast? And RevOps, you know, would be all over this. 100% they are, yeah. And it's, I, you know, language I would use on that to supplement it is, are you running your business off human educated guessing? 
Yeah, well, that's a nice way of putting it. But in there, then this is where RevOps kicks in, should help. And the tools and technology should help in forecasting. Have you collected enough and the right signals to accurately forecast what's going on? Is this an area you're talking about? There's there's no correlation between the selling motion and the forecasting motion. Somebody just had a forecast number. Yes, they sold and maybe made their number, but we have no idea what actually happened to get there. Right. We just got lucky. And luck is no way to run a business. So when you understand the signals that occur to make up your buyer journey, your sales journey, and you can correlate that to your forecast, you definitely can now go, ah, am I having the right activities that are going? Are my buyers actually ready to buy if this deal's in a forecast? Like, if we actually asked that question and understood what that is? And this, to me, when I read your research, it ties back in a bit of what we spoke of on the other episode uh, when we discussed before on process and methodology. A sales process and consistency of execution allows me to collect signals across the journey those signals I can wait, and now I can actually improve my forecasting because I'm, I'm actually taking the forecast, I'm taking the activity stream, I'm taking the things that occur and actually providing intelligence off of that to say, hey, I know somebody's saying this on the forecast, but the activity doesn't jive with it, right? Or maybe it does. Great. Our confidence is very high there, but it stops the bluebird scenarios that you're referencing of, well, I had a forecast number and I had a, had a number I hit but the two don't come together. That's right. Well, I think it would be great if what you described were happening all the time. I think it does happen, but um, you know, one of the questions we ask uh, is the confidence level that the sales execs have in their CRM data, and it still remains quite low. Um, you know, what's the quality of your CRM data? And it's it's not great. And there could be a lot of reasons for that. If you have process baked into your CRM and someone says, yeah, did that, did that, did that, they may or may not have done that, those, you know, the things, or they may have done what they're required to do at that stage in the sales process. But did, did the buyer do what the buyer was supposed to do at that stage? You know, whether you use toll gates or buyer evidence or whatever you want to call it, did they do their part? It's like, well, I did my part. Well, that's not exactly, you can do everything yourself except sign the deal. So that doesn't exactly count. You know, it's what, it's what the buyer is doing at each step that tells you what progress you're actually making. And too often, I think deals click along down the funnel or along the pipeline, however you want to say it. And the sellers are doing their part and maybe they're even trying to do some of the buyer's part, but they can't, they can't sign it. And one of the things that AI is now bringing to the party, which is great, is you say that uh, this thing is going to, you're forecasting this to close the end of March, the end of Q1, but there haven't been any reply emails to you in four weeks. I think last time you talked about being single-threaded. You know, this is a significant size opportunity, and there's only one person who's sending emails to you. Highly unlikely that you have covered all the bases on this and so on. I mean, there are breadcrumbs or telltale signs that AI can be looking for and, and in some cases is looking for that kind of gets past this thing of people just saying, yeah, did that, did that. Yep. Yep. All good. We're good here. 
And I really think, especially right now, it's really important to have the perspective and for sales leaders and RevOps leaders to ask you a simple question. Are you just focused on helping your sellers sell or are you helping your buyers buy? <laughs> the reason why I always phrase it that way is because, you know, similar to what you just said here, Rari, is you think about buyer enablement in this climate. The sellers sell every day or should be at least, right? Buyers don't buy every day. They often don't know what they need to do to light up the internal champions, to, to make the process work, to, to basically make the engine come together to solve the problem they're trying to solve for, right? They need to love the thing you're trying to sell to them, but they don't know how to get it through easily internally. So now they are about to turn to the sales rep and say, hey, help me magically pull all the strings and just here's email these people and tell them why. But but you do have to understand the signals that are most likely to occur. And two always jump out at me that are kind of easy fixes, but things that help tr illustrate this point. In late stage funnels for most companies, regardless of the stage you see, just late stage buying cycles, 67% mm -hmm. of the time, security is overlooked. So security is overlooked from the buyer and the seller. Now, a lot of companies say, well, no, hold on, we sent our security guys. We're not talking the security of the thing you're selling. We're talking the causality on that business overall. Mm -hmm. The CIO mm -hmm. has an opinion. This going to have an opinion. There's going to be actually other people that go, hold on, before we put this in, it's got ramification on a bunch of things we do. Mm -hmm. Is it GDPR compliant? Is the things. Have you enabled your buyer to actually go have that conversation proactively? If you don't, you're likely adding 30 days to your deal cycle. The other example I often give is on a buyer journey. One of the biggest closing techniques everybody uses is uh, ROI. Yep. Oh, let me get the ROI and I'll show numbers and razzle dazzle. We'll put together this cool PowerPoint late stage and attempt to close. And is one of the biggest misses that people have. Because if you're only having that conversation in an attempt to close a deal, guess what they did many, many months ago inside that company? Someone, somewhere, some analyst or procurement person or somebody else had to go do a business justification, figure out the internal rate of returns, figure out the time to value, figure out other ROI on you and your competitive solutions. Mm -hmm. And if you aren't driving that step and supporting them early stage buying, and you're only doing it at the end, that is for sure going to open you up to a margin compression at a minimum on the deal. Worst case, lead to no decision, or it will literally, again, extend the deal cycle. So these are things that I look at to take this back to forecasting. Forecasting has actually improved a lot by understanding the tasks that buyers need to go through by stage. And am I, helped, am I actually helping them do that? Did I genuinely help in a capacity? If I did, my confidence on the deal can go up. My deal cycle potentially can come down. But if I'm only doing what most companies do, what's the new I'm creating my pipeline and what am I going to close? And I'm not managing the entire life cycle of it. You know, you have a really tough time of this. And this, this final comment, I'll throw it back to you, Barry, is I would love to get to a future state where we no longer look at pipeline and forecasting and saying, well, here's the, you know, the 4X factor we need, the 5X factor we need. Yep. The only reason people need that is they're really poor and lazy about actually managing the deals that they have. Well, I, I don't know if they're lazy, but I, uh, what I will say, 
universally, with very few exceptions over decades of training Miller Hyman's. I've seen thousands of blue sheets and through our research the last 20 years, we've surveyed thousands of companies. And what I can say universally is most reps do not have enough good stuff going. And as a result, they pack their pipelines with stuff that is not a good fit, but it measures up to the thing you're talking about. You said there are two things. I will offer two things in return. One has to do with the process itself. Uh, one company back in the 90s, I was doing process mapping, and we would always say, you know, so one through N, what from lead to close uh, are the steps? And then we would talk about N plus one, what a successful delivery or implementation look like, and N plus two, what does ongoing customer care look like? Uh -huh. But let's just stick with one through N for the moment. And we'd say, okay, why are we doing this step? And how do we know when it's done? What's the desired outcome? And then we would say, what do we do at each of these steps? And what does the buyer do at each of these steps? We were doing this stuff in the early 90s, okay? Uh -huh. And now they call that buyer evidence or toll gates, wherever you want. I don't care. And so then after we got through the end of that one, then we would start to work back and Pareto this thing. We'd say, okay, of, of the deals that get to, let's say N is six, of the deals that get to five, uh, how many make it to six? And they would say 30%. And I said, no, actually what I'm asking you is when it gets this far of the ones that get here, how many make it to the last step? And they said, yeah, about 30%. And I'm like, <laughs> what? <laughs> Wait, what? And it turns out that they, it was in medical devices and they had a new, completely different way of uh, delivering uh, high potency uh, drugs, chemo and stuff like that. Yeah. Completely different. And the, a demo was like a week-long process at a hospital or in a clinic, round the clock, while it cost over $50,000. And this was years ago. And they did a lot of those. And then 30% of them are like turning into business. Like, what the heck? And so it's like, okay, well, let's parade that. What are all the reasons that you lose at that point? And what are the two main ones? Guess what the two main ones were? Number one, the person who gave final approval did not agree with their approach. Number two, no budget. It's like, what the hell? And so is there a hole in our process? Wow, we never thought to ask, do you have any money? No, that's right here. It's step one or two. We just said yes and never checked it again. But this other thing about the decision maker, the economic buyer not buying their concept, did we never think, oh, no, that's right here at step three, proof of, you know, whatever, before we did the... So they were checking it off, but it wasn't true. Yeah. Okay. So the first part is, is there a hole in our process? Huh? We never thought to ask, do you have any money or are we simply not following our process? Okay. So I would say that's the first big thing. The second one I want to go back to, are you helping your seller sell or your buyers buy? Let's go back to N plus one and N plus two. One of the big problems, in my view, and my friend Martin Lewis wrote a book a number of years ago, How Customers Buy, dot, 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 and Why They Don't, okay? And so sellers tend to think of one through in, lead through close, and we're done, okay? But in Martin's book, he shows like where all of the seller energy is going, uh, you know, like in the finding people and then educating them and then proof of concept and all that stuff. 
and then it kind of winds down. But for the buyer, it's like, yeah, I'm kind of interested. We did the internal stuff you talked about, IRR and ROI and business case. And yeah, we're really looking and blah, blah, blah. But what they're really worried about is after we get this thing, we have all this work to do to actually do this thing, implement it. Yeah. And it's not the security check. It's like, yeah, it checks. That doesn't mean it's done. We still have all this work to do. And sometimes it's just not worth it. And so buyers have gotten better at buying faster than sellers have gotten better at selling. But it's not just buying and selling. It's buying and implementing and living with it and having it succeed beyond anybody's wildest dreams. That's, I think, the part that people forget about. Yes, yes, and yes. Brent Adamson, uh, an old friend, used to say, remember from a buyer's perspective, it's not them saying, I'm happy I chose you. It's them saying, I'm happy we chose well. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, the point of buying is simply the action where I've now done it. And, and buying, when you look at the psychology of buying, I don't care the moment you're buying an engagement ring for your loved one, you're buying a car, your first house, or you're buying a piece of software. It's a negative emotion. The moment of a transaction, the moment of that purchase, that $20,000 engagement ring, you're going to gulp and go, oh, that's a lot of money for a piece of crushed coal, right? Mm -hmm. When you drive that car, you're like, man, the moment I drive it off the lot, I hope it was worth the $30,000 of depreciation, right? Yep. Gulp, yep. right? Yep. And then you live it. And then you have things that happen afterwards. And you, you are evaluating the entire time how that is going. And so don't for, for, for a second, anybody ever think that buying is an exciting, wonderful thing. It's not. It's an incredibly negative thing. But what we do after that would dictate how well you do with that company. That's a great line. That is a great distinction. That's fabulous. And you think about, you said this earlier, and it's so true and even more true right now for our listeners to cross. Now, we've said this before in the episode, but when you look at what happened in 08, 09, the last Black Swan event, the winners that came out of that time period knew how to grow with the customers they had more than the ones that they had to go get. Mm -hmm. And if you want to grow with somebody and upsell, cross-sell, and all those other things, you better really help make sure that they chose well and that the post-sale is as rigorous as the sales process itself. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I love how your data leans into you know, the process of sales and, and, and let's take that full life cycle with the products and wares we bring to market. We do that, and I think we can see a lot of good growth companies coming out of 2023. Barry, it has been a delight Thank you so much. I feel like we could go on all day and we didn't even get to touch on AI too much and what's going on in that whole space. So, you know, maybe we can do something else again in the future here. But, you know, thank you for your views on forecasting and on process sales and methodologies. Um, how does everybody connect with you, Barry? What's what's best? Uh, it's very easy. Uh, salesmastery.com. Um, we have plenty of videos there and a contact us thing uh, that comes straight to us. Uh, and LinkedIn, we both have our uh, profiles and contact info there. You know, we're not hiding. So love to hear from folks and, and really appreciate you having me. And it was a lot of fun and hope I added some value along the way. Great being with you. It's been wonderful having you here, Barry, and we'll have you back in the future time and uh, we'll dive in even deeper. 
So thank you very much for listening in. Please remember to like and subscribe and uh, submit your questions in. Howard and I will do our best to answer those in a future episode. You can reach us at 323-540-4777. That's 323-540-4777. And we'll see you next episode. Thank you.